0: Welcome to Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob. Hi, I'm Rob. Hello, Rob. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? There's somebody sitting at our table. I know. Do you want to introduce him? He looks familiar to me. He looks familiar to me as well. Um, He needs no introduction to me or you, but to our audience, my very good friend, Ryan Murphy, has joined us at the table of conversation. Welcome, Mr. Murphy.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: So good to have you here. And for those of you tuning in, maybe this is your. We have. I think we have eighteen episodes. Wow. Yeah. Eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. I actually texted a friend of mine um, a particular episode, and he saw that it was number seventeen. He goes, "Wow, I'm a terrible friend." <laughs> Because he he, he he hasn't listened to it, I said, "I don't need you to listen. No pressure. I just need you to know that I have a podcast, and that that's um, makes me important. You know, as Which long as, as as yeah. as long as you think I'm important, I don't care if you listen to it. Just go with it, Ryan. That's what the rest I of think us it's do. It's a wonderful segue. <laughs>
1: well,
0: we appreciate you guys tuning in, whoever you are, and. Uh, the, the topic for today's conversation is, is tethered to last episode, episode 17, on the, the conversation on trust. It, yeah, trust and respect. Trust and respect. Um, I keep finding out how critical that is in regard to the core concept of relationship. Totally. You know, I have been ignorant the majority of my 55 years on what it really means. I'm just starting now to mature.
2: Yeah. I don't know that I, I probably would echo that. It's a, it's a long process. <laughs> Maybe Ryan can help us. Yes. Well, fortunately
1: I'm... I have arrived. <laughs> 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 That's why we got you here. Just ask yep. me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, as we continue this conversation, uh, we decided that we wanted to um, go into the, portion of trust conversation with the abuse of power or, or authority. And um, sometimes I like to put a disclaimer out there and to say, I am not an expert of the topic. However, I have been an abuser of power and authority. I do know what that is. And I know what it means to be um, exposed to the power of authority. Um, And so with that understanding, I think I have space to talk about my story. Yeah. And about what the concept is in general. Agreed. So um, let's get started with just the simple, you know, bullet point of our conversation about definition. When we're thinking about abuse of power or authority, um, how, would we dis- how would we define or describe it from you guys' perspective? Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, as I think of you know, with power or authority, um, my mind immediately goes to you know where does one find that source? You know where where do I look to, or who do I look to, or what do I look to to find that source of authority or power? Um, so. Someone whose power I think comes from deep within themselves, they're less capable of being persuaded by someone else's perceived authority. I think um, at least that's been my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you would be the expert of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it first starts with you know, um, you can use or abuse power and authority to the degree of which you can impact others by the use of that or misuse of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the definition I found online, you know, the thought of having that abuse happening where a protagonist has control of the contingencies under their like influence and, um, and then because of the lack of maybe awareness of, let's call them the subordinates, right? Um, they can experience some sense of damage or, or abuse if the person who is the one in authority doesn't know how to wield their influence or their power or their authority. I find in my non-scientific research I find most people are unaware of their level of influence or power and therefore probably not conscious of how it's being experienced.
2: Yeah, to Ryan's point, I think of it in terms of both relational and positional. And generally where power comes from is a position. Mm -hmm. Somebody is in a position in authority over To your point, I think frequently we're not aware of how we're influencing the people that are subordinate to us. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm, Yeah. And as you're saying that, it's just, I think there's a framework even assumed in your statement, subordinates. You know, I think that's a way to see people. Yeah. Um, And if you see them that way, then they're already underneath. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or less than or less capable of. And I, I think just that understanding there and that framework sets it up for an imbalance.
2: Totally, because when you, to your point, when you look at the the words that we use within our culture, from its very, in its DNA, mm-hmm. there's that concept of authority, subordinates. And I don't think influence or control or power can be eradicated from a relationship, but you you need to be intentional about not abusing that position.
0: Well, back in our series on maturity and intimacy, mm-hmm. you referenced the early stage of recognizing our fragmented identity is most commonly associated with authoritative messages early in life. Yeah. So early in life, abuses of power can can certainly influence the shaping of a person's development.
2: Totally. If family is the number one contributor to identity, it stands to reason that significant caregivers early on in their life, especially if they're unhealthy, are going to abuse power. Yeah. Whether they admit it or not, to Ryan's point, it's like, and those who are healthy generally are aware of their influence or power so they're less likely to abuse it. Mm-hmm. They're yeah.
1: aware or conscious. Yeah. Conscious of that influence. And they want to use it for good instead of for selfishness.
2: So how, yeah. Ryan, how does this concept work in your context with what you do?
1: at work? Yeah. Um, well, I, I um, oversee our leadership development programming. Okay. And, and <laughs> to... To try to help a leader understand that their influence um, holds power, it can cause a person to either emulate them and they lead the way, um, or they can help that first person find their own personal power and so, release that. Yeah.
2: So you're working, you're working with this concept on a regular basis. Oh, every day. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the hardest, the hardest. <laughs> component is helping bring a leader to the awareness of how they're using it.
2: Yeah, because I have this, or it's not original with me, but no one is ever offended by their own bad breath. Right. I don't <laughs> recognize, and then I don't believe your report when you report to me, or it's not safe to report to me. Mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of dynamics that you're encountering.
1: Oh, every day. Okay. Yeah, we've got, I think, I, 46 different leaders that I assist and support. Yeah. you know. hmm yeah, so it's a daily daily observance. Um but we we really you <laughs> know we don't have a whole lot of parameters in place for understanding, you know, what is the context of character of a good leader or someone who would cause um or be aware of the misuse. Cuz we, we don't really filter for that. Yeah.
2: Wouldn't that wouldn't that require an integration between how I act, think and feel as opposed to mm-hmm. don't don't most leaders just go cerebral or heady?
1: Yeah, true. Well, it's outcomes based, right? And so progress is the measure. Can you get things done? Can you achieve the goals in a timely manner? And can you get that done through people? But we have humans.
0: <laughs> human beings. <laughs> not human doings. Yes.
1: <laughs> and that slows progress. You are. <laughs>
0: I'm not going to use that word. Okay. Thank you. So, so um, let's talk for a moment just about the different examples that are in context to our conversation today that psychologists have studied over time. That You could actually go and find research on their work of examining abuse of power. So like physical abuse, sexual abuse, very common. You know, in my work in counseling, I, I find sexual abuse, at, you know, in terms of early stage development, sexual abuse is very prevalent. It's not uncommon, unfortunately. Of course, emotional or psychological abuse can happen in all kinds of contexts. Uh, we'll talk about that later from, in regard to relational um, systems. Um, neglect, spiritual, spiritual is a big one. I've had personal experience there, abandonment workplace. Of course, I, I talked to my wife Deanna this morning and said, Hey, uh, can you quickly just think about workplace, like abuse of power? I mean, she didn't hesitate, heads nodding up and down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's been you know working in her career for 27 years and you know, it's been riddled with abuse of power, right? it's uncommon to work in systems of health and wellness, right? Mm-hmm. And then financial abuse and even self-neglect. I mean, even using your own power mm-hmm. to to not, to abuse yourself. Hard to believe that that's possible, but it is. So there's a list. And maybe you both have uh, other categories that you would consider relevant for this conversation as well.
2: That seems like a pretty... Off the top of my head, it seems like a pretty comprehensive list. Hey, and the boss gave us forty-five minutes
0: for um, the conversation versus the typical thirty. Really? Yes.
2: Oh, how cool is that? Who's the boss?
0: Well, I think I'm. I'm. I'm in that department. I think you are too. I'm in the production department, and so I talked to myself. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> and we had a conversation, <laughs> and I was frankly surprised of of how how collaborative myself was. <laughs> to agreeing to the extra 15 minutes. There wasn't a whole lot of coercion.
1: The subtle power of abuse.
0: (laughs) There might have been some strong arming in that. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, maybe let's talk about um, three categories for this conversation. So relational, occupational, spiritual. Would that be fair? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So um, probably one of the most common categories would be relational. Um, I'm thinking of marriage, dating, parenting, you know, obviously friendships, things like that, um, family, family systems, lots of relationships there. So let's start there. What are your thoughts on, um, this relational category of the abuse of power? You pick your type, pick your category under relational.
1: What do you mean? What are my options? dating marriage parenting yeah i mean just in your own <laughs> in your own mind when you think of the abuse of power mm-hmm.
0: what comes to mind that you're like oh yeah this is
1: well i haven't been on a date outside of my marriage in 22 years but so. you but
0: you are married yes mm-hmm. so we could go with that one i've been married for 27 28 years see i'm in <laughs> that category oops 1993, you do the math. Um, I've been married a while. And I would say that there is a real history of my abuse of my power in my relationship to Dean for sure. Now, I've done a lot of work in myself to address those times and periods, but based on last week's subject, there were seasons where Dean did not feel safe in, in the relationship with me based on my choices. Not that those choices were intentional, but because of my fragmented identity, because of my my lack of self awareness, um, I was basically perpetuating the DNA that was influence influencing who I was as a person.
2: I would say that too, because it's hard to have a conversation about relational abuse of power without introducing the word safety. Yeah right? Abuse safety. And so early on in my marriage, I too abused um, my position. I did what I did what I saw. I did what I thought. And really the greater challenge was it was never about her. It was always about me. And in that toxic soil, it was ripe for abuse. Because mm-hmm. when it's always about you, you don't ever ask the question, again, how am I influencing her? How is this uh, relational dynamic between her and I being experienced by her? Mm-hmm. That
0: wasn't a exercise that would commonly be practiced, where your wife was was able to give you honest and direct
2: feedback that would lead toward greater
0: understanding.
2: Fortunately, you're right. But fortunately for me, she she did give me honest feedback, and she did it in a way that eventually I could hear.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: So it's one of the gifts I consider her, you know, um, giving to me because that open and honest communication, I love and respect her. But when she's telling me I'm not acting respectable, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: That's so hard to come out of too because our society shapes that. For, oh, my word. For men. You know, we, we are, in a sense, over our wives and they are beneath us. And there's that concept again, subordinate too. So it's pretty easy to um, abuse power when you have someone who's beneath you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, and to your point, Ryan... Yeah. Within the family context, not all of the males in the family did this, but some of the some of the significant ones and that I grew up with, my dad didn't do it as much with my mom, that I recall, but
1: others around me mm-hmm. definitely
2: did in the family and the extended family.
1: Mm-hmm. And like Matt, you said you know, until I did my work. Yep. (laughs) And now you can sit here and talk about it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I would say um, doing, doing the work of self development, right. Um, That's just simply for me, that's just simply being in a space where it now is normal to do the work of self, you know, assessment, We've talked a lot about that. That's why, you know, being mindful, that's why our, our podcast is titled Mindful Conversations. Um, but the key was being around people like Ryan and my friend Matt, we call him Bubbles, and, <laughs> and other, other, tell that. Other, other good <laughs> friends that are safe. We often would use the question, I think Ryan was the originator, but just simply asking the question, how are you doing really? And the really was always in all caps yeah. by emphasis, right? It wasn't a text message per se, but it would be a question that we would ask ourselves. And I always remember feeling assaulted by the question, <laughs> oftentimes maybe uh, assaulted by the person, but that was, my, that was my unawareness, thinking that the question was the person. But the reality was it was really the, the question that was assaulting because mm-hmm. it was asking me to be truthful, With yourself. With myself. And until I took that step to be brutally honest with myself in the presence of safe people who really were for me. Right. Because they were playing the same game. They were answering the same question. So it wasn't like there was a, a key person who was trying to find everybody else guilty. We were all in the same boat. And I think that was the richest part of my personal development was being staged in that way. Um, Ryan and I were at a conference back in 2016. We went out to Colorado, flew out, uh, went to Esses Park, jumped up into Rocky Mountain National Park, did a snowshoe nice. for the afternoon, busted back down to Boulder, had dinner, ran down to Colorado Springs, all in the same
1: day. I think so. And
0: uh, <laughs> we went to a John Eldridge, Dan Allender conference. And I the biggest thing that stuck out to me from that conference. It was a three-day conference. We were in Garden of the Gods down in Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. and it was a early morning experience. We wanted to see the sunrise before we flew out out of Denver back to Detroit. And I remembered just being so aware of my incongruency. I, ju- I just became so aware of the fragmentation. Mm-hmm. And my friend Ryan just noticed that and walked with me didn't press didn't force didn't coerce but helped me come to realize the deep divide between soul and role to use the words of parker palmer mm-hmm. i found my identity in my role which was a prime liability to be under somebody's authority mm-hmm because I found my validation in my role. And if there was a boss or an authority figure that could take advantage of that, I was ripe for the picking.
2: And it, it would, it would also, uh, wouldn't it also facilitate you abusing? Oh yeah. You give what you get, Mm -hmm. right? You become a
0: disciple of the system you are committed to. Mm -hmm. That was me.
2: Yes. Without the awareness of the incongruency. Those are friends, though. What you're describing are friends. Yeah. Authentic friends that have the courage and the decency to be honest. And you had the ability not to just shut them off. Oh, at times. Absolutely. Yeah. Get get the blank out of my life. But I mean permanently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You could have walked out and not looked back. Mm-hmm.
0: No, but honestly, it's a tough road. Mm-hmm. It was a, t- it was a tough road for me. Uh, but I knew it was worth it and I knew I could do it with my friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was 2016. This is 21. So this is what, uh, five years later, I always say five years is going to pass mm-hmm. whether you do something or nothing. I'm glad I made the choice to get on the, the path. Mm-hmm um to be able to find out who I was and then to examine my role as husband, father. I just said in group supervision today, I said, Wow, I, I'm I finally matured to be a parent of my twenty two and twenty four year old daughters. I really feel now I've got the the thread where I'm holding on to a very fragile entity of relationship where I'm not coercing my kids. Uh-huh. That feels really good
1: Mm -hmm. because I
0: have, I have the most genuine relationship with them now Yeah, because I'm not using coercion. I'm not using any form of inauthentic parenting style, which is coming from me ego, right? I'm coming from a better version of me.
1: So for me, you know, I think of that and I have the exact same story just in different settings. Uh (laughs) Don't we all, but for me, that's, that's a, that's a personal journey of transformation. Yeah. And I got to witness, um, alongside of you, you know, your story, and it was beautiful. It was wonderful to watch. Are you familiar with Janet Hagberg, the six stages of personal power? I. It's I a don't really think neat I, model. Yeah. It's a really neat model. But as we were in the church together, mm-hmm. and Matt and I were in the same phase, like power by association, the stage yeah. two personal power. Yeah. Power by association. You're you're empowered by those over you. You're empowered by the group, by the belief system. And so you look to that for your power. And um, just w- <laughs> watching us both at the same, just kind of unravel from all that and go through the hero's journey. You know, power by reflection. Go through the wall, mm-hmm. facing those shadows, facing yeah. those, those demons. And then coming out the other side, a person... To your point, Rob, who is a safer space. Yeah. So I think what you said, Matt, I did the work, is actually everything.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And now that you bring up Janet, her. Hagberg, yeah. Hagberg. Yeah, yeah. So Skizzero, Pete Scazzaro makes a Similar he, model. He used her, he gives credit to her. Yes, yes. And when you said the wall, which I have done the emotionally healthy spirituality work mm-hmm. and, Um, got to read Pete Scazzaro's life with his wife. And the reality is I started following that pattern. And it was really the wall in that model that you're referring to that I was able to go through in 2016, otherwise known as the dark night of the soul. Yeah, You know, there's different phrases for that phase of development. But so often we hit that wall. We don't either know how to get through it Mm -hmm. or who to go with us. And so we divert back into old patterns and we never make it through that stage. And so we keep recycling through earlier life stages, never really progressing or maturing. And so thank goodness I was able to travel and what a journey of joy really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today I can say that, mm-hmm. but I think we're saying this in context to If I had not done that, I would still be an abuser of power. An unsafe space.
2: Yeah. And that seems to be the norm. In relationships where if you do not have the maturity or the awareness, if you do not pay the price for transformation, if you do not have the capability to listen to the people and their warnings around you, mm-hmm. then I don't really think that it's going to ever really change yeah. unless you become worse.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And then there's a suffering consequence. We have to remove you now. yeah. yeah. Mm.
2: Yeah. so um, because no one who abuses power ever perceives that they're doing anything but typically. they're, they're just they just don't see it. their rationalizations, their justifications, the denial, the defenses take your pick without having that support system around you and the honesty and the authenticity and the maturity, I don't really think, I, I don't see it ending well for the, the um, victims or the receivers of abuse of power or those who are doing the abusing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a lose-lose proposition. So I think one thing that we're
0: establishing here is a, the key to understanding your role in the abuse of power is to be um, emancipated from the system, and then to personally make a choice for human development, to be developed as a person, an authentic character development, yeah. where you start to know self and you have some sense of reflection from friend um, material you'll, you may be reading. The Parker Palmer material was instrumental in my work of, of self-development. And, um, and I have a faith context, so I fully see that in concert with my faith concept. Yeah. Like this I'm no longer looking to a pastor for example or a spiritual authority to define the road that leads to my salvation or my sanctification or my character development. They may have been a guide on the the early stages and still play a role in terms of witness but the reality is I have become aware of who I am, mm-hmm. whose I am, and what my responsibility is for self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it. what I try to do in, in the place of business is, you know, lead leaders to understand that <laughs> and in a way that frames it so that it's beneficial to their role in the organization, which is really hard to do. And we found it really hard to do in the church as well. Uh, I think where you have an organization, you have Power by Achievement. And then you depend on the people to live from that space of power to empower the system. And so the question I think I like to ask is, does this space nurture the individual's autonomy and freedom or dependency on the system?
2: That's a good question.
1: I think it's a good diagnostic question. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, can you repeat that again?
1: Yep. So does the space or the place nurture an individual's freedom so they have personal power to choose or does it nurture dependence?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think just our society nurtures us to that level of power through achievement. You are worthy as much as you can do for this organization.
2: And the and the inference, the implied, if I'm understanding what you're saying is that dependence um, is it kind of like the fuel that keeps the organization moving and growing? Absolutely. So it's kind of like a toxic fuel that it relies on to to achieve whatever they think are noble or goals or financial or whatever.
1: Toxic to the human being. Right. Beneficial to the to organization. The org- that's right. Yeah. yeah.
0: So therefore, the individual can be expendable. Uh, well, they,
1: yeah, most, yeah, sheep, well, sheep are.
2: Yeah, you would you would see that because I was thinking about it. Isn't in in, I'm not in business, but how many times have I heard we can replace you?
1: Mm -hmm. Very
2: replaceable. And and have I struggled with? Okay, you replace somebody who's been with the organization for many years who understands DNA and culture. That can't be cheap.
1: Mm -mm, It's not
2: okay.
0: Yeah, and and I wouldn't expect that systems would change. My I don't think my my purpose on Earth is to change systems. I think my purpose is to be aware of the influence of the system on me. Yeah, and then start there and make a decision: what do I want? Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, then be part of a system that now aligns with my value system, mm-hmm. and hopefully that organization then starts to perpetuate the same concept of. Helping people to be free. So in families. Free, well, free in regard to what Ryan said is free to be autonomous, free Mm -hmm. to be individual, free to have my identity.
2: Themselves. Speak your truth. And then
0: to find those that appreciate or value that. Mm -hmm. You know, again, Parker Palmer, the concept that I live by being alone together. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in community, but I'm respected for my autonomy. Yeah. And yet
2: we have a togetherness mm-hmm. that says it is good. Well, to your earlier point, the systems aren't going to change. Because if, if I'm understanding systems theory, as in Ryan's point, the system uses and abuses, however unintentionally, the very people that they profess to be serving mm-hmm. or whatever, is that correct? Yeah, I think it, it maintains a, yeah. It, it maintains a homeostasis. It mm-hmm. doesn't want to change. It keeps
1: Very unconsciously. Right. To to sustain the output of whatever it is it's trying to achieve. The, okay. pro- the product line, right? Whatever the the goal is success. The goal is achievement. Achievement of what? Material achievement of this temporal system that we're trying to build it's not the the ether of human beings <laughs> you're right. not you're not building yeah. spiritual essence you're 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 producing a product yeah. whether that be okay. inspiration or the product be diapers or the product be baby food whatever it is
2: or even if we even if it's um not so tangible mm-hmm. I, I could and if I'm hearing this correctly it could boil down to where I'm saying I'm building people, but at the same time I'm building them, I'm abusing them.
1: If you're limiting them, I think you're abusing them. Let's stay here because I think
0: that's a great point to park at for a moment because you've just opened up a better view of what abuse is for me. So this idea that we've parked at and... I'm looking at my outline saying, okay, yeah, we're in all three categories right now, (laughs) which is good, (laughs) but you have, you have this context of the system, whatever system you're part of. Mm -hmm. It could be a marriage system, Mm -hmm. family system. It could be a workplace system. Mm -hmm. It could be a spiritual system, like a church, synagogue, whatever, cult. Um, The reality is identifying who are you in that system? And I don't know if you can remember what you just stated to give us a peek at
2: what our responsibility is. Well, what I was implying is that, to Ryan's point, business looks at it as if it's a product or something you can sell or tangible. But what that triggered in my mind was, oh, I say I'm in the people business, right? But if I'm not careful, I'm abusing my power at the same time I'm saying... I'm building people.
0: You're really using people. That's
2: exactly right. So you superimpose what Ryan, and I'll just speak for myself, what Ryan's been teaching me about the abuse of power, right? And it's like, okay, the system thrives on this toxic fuel just somehow because it has the illusion that it's altruistic doesn't make it less toxic. Uh,
1: that's so uh good. And then those who come along to point that out, they're dead. Yes, <laughs> the <laughs> illusion that might have been a little melodramatic. No, that's true. You must go. The
0: illusion of being altruistic.
2: Yes, it is the illusion of altruistic. That is the permission. As I'm thinking about this, that that allows me to abuse my power. That makes what I do right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because I'm still I'm still wrestling with that concept of that toxic fuel. Well, you it's it's like the organize, the organization, if I'm understanding you, has to do something to fight for self-survival. Exactly.
1: And it's the survival of the system. Not the people within well, the system. Well, the people are the means to the end.
0: Okay. The system uses the people to accomplish its goal.
1: Have you seen the movie The Matrix? Yes, yeah. but it's been a while. Yes. Yeah, so a, n- a new
0: version or a new episode is coming We've out. i have got to go see that. So is James Bond.
2: The name is Bond. James (laughs) James Bond.
1: But it's always been those. The heroes are the ones that disrupt that. The heroes are the ones that step in and say, this is wrong. Progress at the expense of people is wrong. Uh, So when you say wrong, here's how I'm
2: transposing it. I'm transposing that as it's unethical.
1: Amoral, unethical. If you have a concept of human being, again, if you live below that concept and you are powered by achievement and you think this is all there is, you you are a product of your accumulated wealth, your success, your prestige, your status, your role, then you're not doing wrong. You're not doing harm because that's the goal. Now we're back to the non-tangible too, because
2: I'm saying, you're saying, if I... If I have the illusion of a high value of human beings, but I'm using them to build my own ego and my own sense of worth, it's the same play, correct? Yeah. Okay.
1: Because of that person's level of awareness. That person's, they haven't gone through, you know, what you're saying, Matt, their transformation yet. Otherwise, they would be woke up to this reality and they would say, oh, my dear goodness, Right. I'm tying millstones around children's necks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I got to do do something different. Yeah. 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 When I, I like bringing biblical
0: context for my own sake, because I look at one scene in the new Testament at the end of Jesus's life. And it's like, he's been with this ragtag group of guys that just didn't get it. They're always arguing for positional power, like who's going to be number one, who's going to be number two, can my son sit at your right hand, my other son at your left, right? They were always contending for position. That was the system they grew up in, right? They were grown up hierarchy to understand hierarchy leadership, the synagogue leaders, Sadducees, Pharisees, whatever. It's the system. So Jesus, at the very last moment of his life, sends the disciples ahead to create a space for the, the, the Passover meal to be enjoyed, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming, I'm not a biblical scholar, I don't know exactly what happened, but I think in that day it was custom to use the space of communion over food that it would be relational. And so Jesus arrives evidently at the upper room where the disciples had gone, and there had been no preparation in regard to getting everyone ready to recline. Feet's Feet have not been washed. Hair had not been anointed with oil. The, the space was not ready for really uh, commun- communing. So Jesus, recognizing no one put themselves in a the position of being slave, because it would have been a slave or a servant that would have taken on that role to of washed feet, so Jesus takes that on himself. He again shows some form of that common servant leadership, Right. But it was really an act done not because he had to; it was part of his character. And that's this is my version of the story. This is yeah. how I relate to it. But I look at that character, and it wasn't let, that he did that to feel better about himself. It was just who he was in the midst of dysfunction, hoping that they would somehow see the metaphor or the illustration, and and then somehow get it. But they didn't get it.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, sometimes we don't get it. Until later in time where something greater than our ego invites us on a different journey.
2: Uh Yeah. It was, it was a act of a, actually it's not a leader. It would be the leader humbling himself to serve Without ego, agendas, strings attached. Something to prove. Something to prove. It it seems like that's part of the antidote to preventing me from abusing my power, and that's humbling myself. Yeah. And then to your point, I was thinking when you were talking about the heroes that confront, for whatever reason, my mind went to Exodus with the 12 spies that went out they all come back to, mm-hmm. to see it a completely different, a different way. way yeah. Ten do not. And it, it's that story, and to Matt's point, kind of makes me think that, you know, if I'm going to figure all this stuff out, somehow, in some way, I have to listen to the dissenting voices, especially when they have a lot to lose. hmm because they're they're rising to an occasion to be honest with with me in a way that could end poorly for them. Mm-hmm. That's that's that concept that we're talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. But you got to be the kind of person that can mediate that as well. I mean that type of gravity. I yeah, Jesus even I think Jesus would have said, you know, Rob, I really don't like the title leader." Go ahead, I get it, what you mean, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Labels and roles and all of this, you know, uh, you know, Jesus was beyond. And therefore, he was safe.
2: Well, it's what Plato said, only those who are not desirous of power are worthy of holding, holding it. it. That's your point, mm-hmm. right? And that's
1: the point. And I think that's, that's the call that we're all on. I mean, that's the journey that we all have the ability to attend to if we do the work if we meet that self yeah if we meet our true self and we step into that real power then i think then i think we're back to the point of okay this person is safe space allow them to cause growth allow them to nurture the space and you get a totally different outcome I love this. I I love that I beat Rob to the mic because he breathed
0: in. <laughs> yeah. He breathed in, and then I took my position. You did. That's called a power
1: move. You should have little <laughs> buttons that like
0: I'm next. I'm next. I'm next like hand next. raised. Hey, this subject fires me up. On the issue of safety, Deanne, I can't tell Deanne that the relationship is safe. Oh come on, Deanne, sit down. Clearly, I'm safe. She has to be the one to decide for herself if. I feel safe to her. And if I don't, I can't manipulate that. I have to honor where she's at.
2: And she has a responsibility to be mature in that as well. That's her choice.
0: That's exactly right. But I'm not going to force that. No. Or demand it. No, I agree. Or coerce her. Like, you know, we're not going to get into this today, but next time, because I want to do part two of this, I knew this would happen. I knew it. I knew that you knew. Did you know that I knew that I, Ryan knew? I, I didn't know about Ryan, but uh, I knew that you knew. I didn't know. But I, I, I want to <laughs> touch on gaslighting. Yes. You know, the classic concept of manipulating another person in order to make them feel like they're the problem.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Anyways, I hate to do this, guys, but we do have to start winding down part one of this particular topic, because my boss will probably get mad at me if I go <laughs> over 45 minutes. That was 45 minutes. It goes by wow. fast.
2: Amazing. It does. It does go by it fast. Goes.
0: So let's do this. Let's just close with some thoughts that will help us transition to part two. So any closing thoughts about what is the big takeaway for you guys in this, in this conversation?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would think that, you know, for listeners, it's, When you think about the abuse of power, you know, think about where your power comes from first.
2: Is that like the motive? Is that the motive? Where does my power come from? What is my motive? Yeah.
1: Well, can others tell me who I am and I believe it? Okay. Right? Like, where does my sense of that power come from? And if it's external to yourself, then... Those are lessons that you need to learn. Um, whether it's power by association or power by achievement, you're going to derive your power from outside of yourself. But the, to those who do the work, to those who go on that journey, do the self-reflecting, meet their ego, shake hands with their shadow, you, know, you come to realize that you don't need all that. And those those people become safe space. So are you safe space? Is the person you're with or leading you safe space? I, th- I just think reflecting on that is really important.
2: Dr. Rob? I'm, I'm still processing this, trying to. Um, I, I think instead of giving feedback or what I'm thinking, I have a question I'm dying to ask Ryan in terms of his position and expertise with this. And it's probably the point that I would leave us with. And that is, it seems that one of the fundamental problems of leaders in leadership today is a glaring lack of self-awareness. Is that what you're seeing?
1: Oh, I would absolutely say so. Self-awareness, consciousness, really. (laughs) <laughs> Mindfulness. Mindful Understanding who I am, really. Okay. Back to Matt's point. R-E-A-L-L-Y. Yeah. I think
0: that's a great place to put a bookmark. And we will come back to that in part two. Looking forward I, to it. I am too. I do agree that 45 minutes goes by way too fast when you're experiencing a great flow and conversation. Well, Joe Rogan does like two hours, two and a half hour podcast. (laughs) Ryan, we're trying to get our listeners to tolerate two hours. We're doing, (laughs) I just get 15 minutes, but we do appreciate you tuning in. We hope that the episode today has been provoking, um, helping you to be more mindful about power, authority, the use or abuse or misuse. And um, tune in to episode 19 where Ryan will be back. We hope. I sure will. Excellent. Well, listen, (laughs) take care. We hope that your day continues to prosper wherever that may lead you. Thanks so much.